Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Jay, did I win? Uh, maybe. <laughs> what are we talking about? We had a bet of some sort. My, my book is out. Is your book out? Oh yes, uh, I guess you won. If that if if that was the race to get it out, I think we did. I think we did make that gentleman's bet. Um, my book is definitely not out. As we were just chatting about off uh, offline, um, I continue to just pour through it endlessly, and um, I you know it, I'm getting to the point though at which I have to let it go. So it should be soon. Well, I knew I wasn't going to win the contest on quality, so I thought I would win the contest on. Uh... Uh, speed to publishing. So yeah. Um, well, what do they say that the, you know, speed quality and what's the third one and you can and price choose price choose two. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so we'll but, see. Yep. Cool. Well, um, speaking of, well, you don't have to choose from those three with our guest today. We're welcoming back a guest that we've had on twice, I believe already really happy to have him back third time and that is none other than adrian lurson from jd supra adrian welcome back thank you thank you for having me i i was waiting for the opportunity to make the joke about the guy who's writing the book and when asked for an update he says i've numbered all the pages so. <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah thank you for having me Cool. Well, it's been a while. I can't remember if it was still in the throes of the pandemic when we last spoke, but I know a lot's changed since then. And um, I'm sure there's things that have changed at JD Super. Why don't you bring us up to date on anything that's new and exciting since we last spoke? Sure. And thank you for asking that question. Um, I, you know, I, I will get more into sort of like what has changed with content, but on JD Super, a couple of things, big picture, you know, one of the things that we're very aware of is that a lot of different people consume the thought leadership produced by professional services and, and law firms. Uh, and oftentimes in firms, that content project, that initiative, that publishing is shepherded through, curated by people in PR and comms, where the, um, the impact of the work is of great value to people in the BD team. And so there's kind of this disconnect internally between who gets what information. So the biggest thing that we've done since we last spoke is roll out um, role-based dashboards. So for people who are specifically in BD in a firm, or if it's a small firm and there's a marketer wearing multiple hats, somebody with a BD task can log in and access everything available to them about their content through a BD filter versus PR and comms people who would be interested in something else. They'd be interested in which media outlets are reading them and featuring their work. Um, they're interested in an inbox that has media queries, like we're looking for an attorney who can talk to us about this tax issue. Whereas BD people are interested in industry specific insights and company insights. And that's a very sort of broad painted um, version of, of what this is. Uh, all kinds of modules in each dashboard. There's dashboards for content strategists who can look at what content is doing well and double down on it. Um, the BD folks can see lists of which content and which authors in their firm are, are having the most BD specific kind of responses to their work. And um, yeah, so that. 
And then as we talked about uh, leading up to this conversation, we've started to roll out our AI integration. So we can talk about more of that, of that later, but our first one came out a couple of weeks ago and it's basically in analytics when somebody's looking through their existing content, uh, AI integration has evaluated the content and is now suggesting follow-up posts. You know, it's great to have one good post on a subject. It's much better to have a series. Here's what you should write next. And AI evaluates the entire piece of content and the title and then makes a recommendation about where to go next with it. Nice. That, re that really is it in a nutshell, yeah. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Yeah, we, I'm sure we'll touch on that and dig into it a little bit more. But, um, you know, I, I know just technology and AI, I figured you guys were probably doing something in that realm and um, be interested to check those features out more. Um, what about, I guess, trends or developments or insights around um, reading habits? Uh, you know, obviously, the during the pandemic, you know, it was a time of uncertainty, um, lots of new developments. It was very much content being produced that was responding and trying to um, you know, unpack what was happening and, and give people some sense of what are the issues they need to be aware of at the moment um, and, a, and a probably a voracious appetite for content. Um, what do you see in these days in terms of reading habits? Like what are, I guess, what, what patterns or trends are there in terms of, um, you know, in-house counsel and, and other readers of JD Super in terms of what they've been looking for? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a great question. And there are lots of different ways to answer it. And people who know me know that I could probably spend the rest of the time that we have just answering this one question. Um, this, so basically going into the pandemic, I would be invited to speak a lot about, you know, what we're talking about here, thought leadership from a professional services point of view and what it means to marketing BD. And literally for over a decade, I would sort of say, to a room full of people with a hard-earned expertise, people who've really been through the ringer to know what they know. You know, you live in a time in which there are microphones available to you and anybody can say anything, but that's not the same thing as having something to say. And the idea is that attorney thought leaders, law firm thought leaders and people in professional services rarely have something quite meaningful to say in the public conversation, making sense of chaos legal nuance, complexity, making sense of it for a target audience. I think of what happened in the pandemic as the sort of coming to fruition of that, like really proving that. And so if you just look at traffic readership, there was this massive spike in readership. Um, there were always a lot of readers of this content, very specific people interested in, in this content. Um, and then it exploded everything from ins insurance issues to vaccine mandates for employees to um you know including like issues of child custody when in, during isolation and to a uh, split family and where does the kid go um and you know just everybody trying to make sense of these legal issues the dust has settled on that and the readership is still high and it's not um it hasn't returned to pre-pandemic levels. It's it's it plateaued at a, at a new height. Not 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 the peak of pandemic because issues you know have settled. Um, but there are a handful of basic metrics that really kind of prove that um, people have understood 
uh, the role that this kind of content plays and now seem to be coming back to it more and more frequently. So for example, just in terms of corporate subscribers to this content, legal teams, C-suite, subscriptions are up um, and people are very actively involved in reading this content. There is a sort of a steady cadence. The thing that's interesting about this content is that you can write something that in a moment of time, uh, somebody really needs advice about because they're involved in a complex issue. And so they reach out and say, I need you to help me. I need you to be my lawyer. But there are also other values like media visibility. And so by the metric of how frequently we hear from reporters who are doing a story that has a legal aspect to it and they need somebody to make sense of it for them and they'll quote them. So the PR media visibility of thought leadership, there's a steady cadence of queries that would come in pre-pandemic those are much higher and the quality of the outlets reaching out to us is more consistently spectacular. So New York Times, Wall Street Journal, the, the main outlets of major metropolitan cities around the US, um, industry periodicals. And I could just keep on going, but the long and the short of it is that pandemic, the pandemic proved to the world the role of a law firm thought leader in making sense of complex issues. And then the dust settled and it maintained um, itself at a new high in a whole bunch of different ways. Readership, subscription, media queries, contacts, all of the rest. Adrian, I'd be curious if you have any data um, that either supports or refutes. You know, I think common wisdom or conventional wisdom is that people's attention span is getting shorter. So perhaps you might suggest that or infer from that that people are spending less time on deep analysis and reading thought leadership. But, you know, the point you're making is thought leaders consume thought leadership content. Do you have any data that shows people are spending either less time per page, more time per page, the same amount of time per page? compared to say five years ago because that's that's a really interesting question and um i think so so basically when we when we talked about this conversation i had said um when you had asked about readership trends i said with one caveat to 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 law firms my caveat is this um some practices and some people using this for marketing and bd purposes don't need volume they need they need the right readers and so my coy and i don't mean to be flippant answer to this question is that um it uh it doesn't th that metric doesn't matter to me as much as the metric of like if you are in insurance litigation are the right five insurance companies around the country reading you um so yeah, I mean, I'm sort of being coy and sort of painting myself into a corner with this answer. But my first answer is that I, I, I don't think that that matters that much. Secondly, I would also say that the question has often been asked relative to other forms of media. So videos, podcasts, and then text. And the only thing that we've found definitively is that video and audio doesn't replace text. What it does is it actually qualifies readers. So there is a lot to be said you can go down a road with your question about writing too much. And we can talk about this in a second in the rest of the conversation, writing a hundred page tome of legal analysis, isn't going to help anyone. Um, but uh, I mean, it's sort of like, um, 
I, I don't know where I'm going with this. But, but, well, but you're yeah. sort of answering my question, even in, in the way you use the word flip it, in that um, I, I guess my own prescription here would be to guard against the um, conventional wisdom that I should write a 400-word article now because people don't have the attention span to read 1,200 words, say. But the right person is looking for, I mean, that's what I took from your initial data point. The right person is looking for deep analysis and you should be writing for the right person, not for just the skimmer who's, you know, has an attention span no longer than a tweet or an X or whatever it is nowadays. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the, I, I lost track of my thought, but, but, but you're absolutely right. And what I was leading to was we did a study in which we put a short video in front of long form text content. And if you think about most people online, they're not actually your readers. They become your readers when you earn their readership. And what they are actually doing is they're scanning to decide whether or not to read you. They're scanning a title, they're scanning pull quotes, they're scanning, scanning subheads, and they're sort of saying, this deserves my attention. I'm gonna stop what I'm doing and I'm now going to read this. Jay, like, oh, sorry to interrupt, but I just, I just wrote a piece called, is your content skimmable or skippable? And it's the exact point I was making. Jay, back, back me up, right? I said something smart. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a hundred. Yeah, and that's it in a nutshell. And that that's the advice that the world should be hearing. If you put a short video in front of readers and let them understand the implications of the issue at hand, the ones who then read will spend more time with the reading than the ones who didn't because they have been qualified by the video to dive deep into the text. That's the relationship between the two. And that's one really practical answer to your question. I think that if you can say something in 400 words per your, your point a minute ago versus a thousand, say it in 400. And, you know, one of one of the things that we're going to talk about is is some of the trends in 2023. And I can tell you about the study that we've done and it supports that entirely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think the answer is that there is no right answer to is it should it be short because readers attention spans are short or should it be long I, it should be the length it deserves to be based on you know the the amount of content it requires to answer the the, the question or solve the problem i mean you know we've all read 5000 word essays online that were gripping and we went straight from top to bottom in other cases we all you know 400 words of junk is uh, serving no purpose whatsoever uh, but I do, I do agree with both of you, uh, Tom and Adrian's point about you know skimming content. I think that does happen, especially uh, to your point, Adrian, that if you haven't already earned the trust of the reader, there's certain writers who whatever they put out, I'm going to read from top to bottom because I know it's all going to be good and I'm going to learn something. In other cases, I'm discovering new people, but I'm not going to. I don't have. I, I don't trust them the way I trust others, so I'm going to skim. Oftentimes, I will discover that piece of content through search and I will skim for the the subhead that seems to address my problem. And if that blows me away, I'll go back to the top and read from the top to the bottom. So it's just many different ways to think about it. But you know, you need to you need to earn and and maintain the trust of your readers if you're consistently putting out content. And then you need to structure your content in such a way that your subheads identify specific answers or problems you're solving. And and keep it well structured like that, so that you can earn their trust as well. So it's just it's just multifaceted. There's no easy answer to that question. Yeah, and you're 100 percent correct. And one of the things that we spend an awful lot of time talking about around here is 
what you most of your readers will discover you without knowing you and a smaller subset will have the habit of reading you and one of the goals of being a thought leader is to turn people who discover you so you have to set yourself up to be discovered and that's all about titling and everything that you just said to want to habitually read you and that's a great metric of success and just looking at the organic arrival of readers to you and how many of them stick around. It's just a great metric. Yeah. And we, we did a podcast episode a few weeks back about, I think we called it the the push and pull of legal marketing, where you have to, you have to continually push stuff out um, to, especially for those who are sort of subscribed and signed up for your content, the people that already trust you. So that would be newsletter subscribers, podcast subscribers, that kind of thing. And then you need to publish content in environments where you can pull new people in. So for, for me, for example, that's LinkedIn primarily, where you know I'm getting people to discover my work. Um, yesterday, I, I posted um, highlighting and encouraging people to sign up for my newsletter. You'll probably get 20 or 30 new subscribers from that post. So it's this constant push and pull. And you need to be, um, you need to experiment and be aware of and informed about how to go about doing both those things, satisfying existing subscribers or readers, and, and pulling new ones into your ecosystem at the same time. Yeah, and you know, without sort of beating a dead horse of this this great question, we talked about this briefly, I think, during the height of the pandemic, and it still exists today. And I think that AI actually plays a part in, in, in solving this. You know, there's, there, there's a question, as Tom asked, about the difference between 400 words and 1,000 words. Unfortunately, in the thought leadership space amongst um, sort of complex legal issues and that attorneys are writing about, oftentimes what you'll get is a hundred page tone and making sense of a new legal development out of Washington. And if you are an, um, a business owner in California with less than 25 employees and the implications of this new legislation are on page 56, and you're expected to find it on page 56, you never will. And so, you know, focusing your content on the people you're trying to reach and understanding why you're trying to reach them is more important than word count. Well, you um, brought up the elephant in the room, so we should go there. That is the topic of AI, which in every industry is like the thing, uh, peril, promise, fear, everything. Um, Let's start with maybe how you're using AI because you alluded to that earlier. And then we want to talk, I think, as a group about how content creators should be using AI, if they should be, et cetera. But what's JD Super doing on the cutting edge of AI? Well, so so I I, I describe what one of the, the, the first rollout of our integration uh, as, as an Easter egg. It's sort of like, you know, we're paying attention because we have to and we find it interesting and we find it helpful. And... The thing about JD Super is that we get our hands on the content once it's done. So we, uh, for that reason, aren't particularly interested in developing tools that help you create content from scratch or that are editorial assisting tools. They might be helpful, but things that actually fit where somebody is in the cycle of thought leadership when they're on JD Super. So that's why the first thing that we rolled out was, um, you know, this is a great post. AI suggests that here's your follow-up based on evaluating the work at hand. Um, from a JD Super point of view, there's another thing that we're hugely interested in, and that is making sense of data. So we could help with 
editorial. We could help with mark with the marketing around content marketing. But um, we're you know with our dashboards and with our analytics and with our data product Beacon Insights, we are providing all manner of people in different roles within law firms with intelligence based on the readership habits of people within companies and industries. What can AI help us understand about that? Because one of the things that we always talk about when we talk about the data that we're providing our clients is that it's not the it's not the it's not the insights, it's not the data, it's the findings. Mm-hmm. And AI strikes me as being incredibly helpful at those findings. And so, you know, the kind of typical questions that there are any number of questions, but it's sort of like, what's the best? Well, for example, um, years ago, when we first started going down the road of providing data, we um, put a, um, a senior BD director in front of dashboards for his um, firm on JD Super, and he asked to see a particular hospital group. And um, we showed him the readership habits of this hospital group. And in the amount of time that it take for his eyes to scan the screen, he said, we've been approaching these guys the wrong way. We've been pitching the wrong practice group. Based on their readership habits, clearly there are other things that they're much more interested in and we should approach them through an entirely different practice group. You know, that's the finding there is is what matters. And so what can AI possibly do to help in that regard? There are some, some of our clients have done some extremely smart things with understanding consumption of this information and next steps shifting their email campaigns, uh, building content strategy. And so AI has a, has a part of it. I mean, I think that's one of the great, great powerful um, strengths of AI, which is to find patterns that the human eye just doesn't have the capacity to recognize. Um, so the, the, the short version of, of, I'm here today to talk about AI as a content generation helper but the future, I think, for us is around AI as a data mining tool and how that can help business development, how that can close the circuit between um, content marketing and business growth. Yeah, I th- and I think that puts you in a powerful position. I mean, everything I know about, I mean, if we're going to continue down the road of uh, AI as large language models, I mean, it really is the differentiator at that point becomes who has the data and the fact that you guys have so much data puts you in uh, the catbird seat, uh, so to speak, from a AI standpoint in terms of, you know, just analysis and and um, and and analytics around content. So I think that's that is really important. I think it is powerful. And yeah, maybe we we can pivot and talk a little bit about, you know, from an individual content creator standpoint, you know, yeah. what are some ways they they might want to use AI. But I, I do think that over the long term, you know, the more the, the massive amount of data that you guys have is going to really allow you to be I think, leaders in the space in terms of um, leveraging AI. That that seems to me an obvious conclusion from from you know all of the data you guys have been gathering for decades now. Yeah, well, it's nice to hear that, and I, I love talking about this stuff. So, from the point of view of of AI and as a content creator, I'll tell you a couple of different things. So, so I sort of after you invited me to, to come in and talk, I sort of made this list. Content creation, question mark? Nah. Editorial support, question mark? Definitely. And there are a couple of different ways that I would break that down. And and I'll, I'll try to tell the story super quickly. But 
in lead up to this and preparing, I just went to ChatGPT, which I do frequently anyway, just to constantly see what it's all about. And um, I said, I want to be a blogger. Give me five, 10, give me 10 fields that have a proven readership, but are underrepresented when it comes to content. What do you have in mind? And in the amount of time that it took me to hit enter, ChatGPT immediately just responded with these 10 really interesting things. And one of them, it said, well, people love food and people love history. You could do a blog in which you recreate historical meals. <laughs> and and I'm telling you the story in the amount of time that it take, took me to do this. Maybe it took me even less time to do it. So I said, okay, well, give me 10 posts that would be good posts that are um, a recreation of a historical meal. And it listed them instantly. And one of them was a Roman banquet. And one was the last meal on the Titanic. Mm. And so I said, okay, write me a post that recreates the last meal on the Titanic. And it did it instantly. And it was exactly what everybody's obsessed with, short in length, uh, bulleted action items. And here's the thing about it. It was like... Um, witnessing like a beauty pageant or being in the presence of a promising high school student whose work is still ahead of them, where it was like really kind of devoid of any sophistication. And it was sort of like, I, like I literally felt like I was watching a beauty pageant. It's like, is world peace important? Well, I think that world peace is important because without it, you won't have peace. And it was like that sort of like wooden and clunky and a repetition of the assignment and the opening sentence. And the thing that really struck me about the Titanic post is that it was kind of totally devoid of any human nuance or tone around the incredible sense of loss that the Titanic represents. And instead was just about like oysters and caviar. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so, so it's kind of like you get, it, it, it's a, it's, it's, it's an algorithm, it's not a human, and it resembles a human, and the human inclination is to fill in the blanks and make it feel human. But this one very basic example, imagine asking something out of the box that hasn't been trained by your firm, but ChatGPT today, to write something with incredible legal nuance, it's simply not gonna happen. Um, it's not gonna happen the same way that I would never now build a blog you, about historical meals and use that post because it is entirely devoid of the human aspect that I would introduce into that post versus into being something entirely devoid of the legal nuance and complexity that's being applied to an issue in a, in a blog post. So I don't think it's today, especially good at content creation. And there may be firms out there that are willing to spend a lot of money investing on training a natural language model and changing that but most people are interested in what the out-of-the-box availability is, and it's just net. However, uh, in our, some of our early tests, we would take an incredibly complicated legal document on JD Super and put it in ChatGPT, and I would say, in a sentence, what's this about? And I would get an instant response, and it would be amazing. It would be a spectacularly smart analysis of a thousand words. And then I would say, who's this for? And it would tell me. And then I'd say, did the post achieve being available for that person? Did it call it enough attention to itself to that target audience? And the answer would be some variation of yes or no. 
And that's really sort of some of the more interesting ways in which I think it can be used today. So, you know, I the, the follow-up question would be, okay, well, if it didn't really achieve making itself available to people who um, do business in Switzerland, how could we change that? What's a better title? And then it would offer a really smart title. Um, how would you restructure this piece so that somebody reading it and scanning it can um, uh, know that it's for them? And these are incredible. It's really gifted at that and, and does a good job of that. Um, one of the things that we find um, here frequently, our sort of director of client services is always reporting back on this, is that we can give as much editorial advice as we want to, to people in law firms. But if a lawyer, as is often the case, says, my work is now done, you can't change it, it's shipping. You kind of have this issue, this dynamic in which a marketer doesn't have the authority to change the writing of an, of an attorney who sort of is not willing to listen to that authority. The, there's no, the attorney doesn't think that there's enough editorial chops there to listen to these changes. With ChatGPT, you can have to shift the dynamic. So two people can be sitting in front of a computer, a marketer, a BD person, what have you, and an attorney. And you can say, you can cut and paste the entire text of the post into ChatGPT and say, who's this for? ChatGPT will tell you. And then it becomes a conversation between a marketer and an attorney about whether or not the attorney achieved the goals that they set out to achieve. Mm. Because it's not one person's opinion. It's an incredibly smart analytical tools opinion. And then you can go through a process of sort of saying, well, what would be a better way to achieve this? Now we did a study um, once we launched those dashboards where all of the content that led to a contact by a reader that had a kind of a BD quality to it, that, was, that wasn't like a media outreach or what have you, but it was actually sort of like, this is a problem we're having and we'd like to hear from you what did all of the content that generated that kind of contact have in common? And it had a real specificity of audience. The people who are writing it knew exactly who they were trying to reach and spoke to them directly. You know, they talk about thought leadership and content. Oftentimes, no, they talk about storytelling and thought leadership. Oftentimes the story is, I'm a really great real estate attorney where the best story is you reading this have a real estate issue that I'm going to solve for you. And that's a very different dynamic that requires different editorial elements. And AI is actually incredibly gifted at helping that last stretch before the post goes live. That's what I would say. Um, I actually have a, a friend who's building an app that is doing something like this. And I would happily introduce anybody who's listening who wants to be a beta tester, but he does, goes through this process where it's sort of like is this done and then when the post is done there are other follow-ups it's sort of like well give me three pieces of language that i can use to share this on linkedin facebook and twitter and uh, give me a single sentence synopsis that i can cut and paste into an email when i do a client email blast for this post and it's all got to do with is this reaching the audience that it intends to reach Adrian, um, let me share. I, I have a slightly different perspective if we circle back to ChatGPT as a um, tool for content creation. And I, I largely agree with what you said. In particular, you know, if you are if you're prompting ChatGPT to write an article or a blog post for you, 
um, you know, with a, a, a sentence or two prompt, you're, you're going to get something back that's very generic and surface level. And, and, and like you said, devoid of that, that human voice. Um, but I do think through, you know, I, I use it a tremendous amount um, and in different ways, uh, including um, as a kind of a co-pilot for content creation. And I do think that what I've learned over time is that um, like most things, you know, using chat GPT really is a complicated skill that you have to develop, um, especially in terms of, of prompt engineering. And you have to go through long periods of getting back, you know, sort of mundane and, and, and generic content before you really can start getting something useful back um, and, and understanding how, how to do that. And there are certain things, you know, it's not good. Like you said, I don't, I don't recommend people try to, you know, put in a prompt, get a full work product back and then think that they're going to publish that. Um, it needs to be a very iterative process. Um, you know, the way I think about it is you, you first have to test it for its understanding of a concept, right? If if it doesn't have a deep understanding of what you're trying to address, then then you're not going to get good content, content back. Uh, you know, in situations like that, you can feed it content to kind of help it understand what you're trying to accomplish. If you want it to write in your voice, you can provide it with examples of your previous writing and it will it will adopt your style, which gives it a little bit more humanity and voice. Um, and then it always, to me, it always has to be a very iterative process where if you want an article written and you're doing so with ChatGPT, you, you can't write it as an article. It needs to be a section by section, sometimes even the sentence by sentence process where um, you know, you're getting what you want from it um, and, and maybe you know three or four times prompting it for more revisions, a different voice, different length, more succinct, you know, uh, more simple and straightforward language. So it, it's I think it, it can be very powerful for certain purposes. You just really have to devote yourself to learning how to prompt it effectively. Um, and, and some of the things I think it does uh, in particular very well would be something that otherwise takes me a heck of a lot of time, especially for something like writing a book, which is coming up with great stories, um, historical examples, analogies, metaphors that otherwise might require a tremendous amount of research. Like you said, ChatGPT oftentimes can produce those things in a snap, um, so which is which is great. Um, I've also, you know, and I won't belabor this point. Um, I just want to, I, I, I'd like to encourage people to to you know, give it another shot, especially if you the first experience you have with ChatGPT was a year ago with ChatGPT three. Um, you know, it's 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 a much different experience now. Um, one of the things I've been toying with and playing with recently, because um, I'm a I, I subscribe to ChatGPT Plus, it's twenty bucks a month, and with that you get access to its beta features, including now Dolly three, which is the um, the chat based image generator, and I've been um, using that to develop images um, that I've started to use uh, when I'm posting blog posts and even LinkedIn posts. Um, I haven't really done that yet, but I've been generating and trying to develop a style, um, an illustrative style. And and Dolly is is pretty amazing uh, in terms of generating things. You want something done in a comic book, illustrative style from the 1940s. It will do that. Like, uh, and you can, you can, if you're sick of stock imagery and you want to use imagery with your content, um, you now have the opportunity to develop your own unique style of, of imagery as well. So 
I think there's lots of tools um, and new ones are coming out all the time. And I found it to get better and better over time as well. Um, so just some food for thought. Um, I could go on and on about this in terms of different ways that I think people can use it um, as a additive tool to supplement what you're doing from a content creation standpoint. But um, I'll, I'll pause there and we can move on to the next topic or you can react. Yeah, to that. I mean, well, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Um, I, but I think that everything that you're talking about is it as an assistant, not as a replacement. Hundred percent. Um, and that, and, and there's a couple of sort of key things that I think that people. Um, so, a colleague of mine just came back from Tech West, which is obviously was entirely focused on on AI, and we were having a chat about what he learned there. Um, what you're saying about learning how to feed it the right prompts and being iterative is 100% correct. And I think that for the firms that are willing to invest money into training these natural language models, but you know, you the more you invest, the more you get back. Um, I think sort of big picture, if the question is, um, can I use AI to replace my role in thought leadership? The answer is no. Mm -hmm. Can I use AI to assist me in very smart and creative, endlessly creative and imaginative ways to um, make my thought leadership more efficient and maybe even better? Absolutely. And I think that the key is being willing to play and investigate and not give up and not try it once and then just walk away. And, you know, there are endless kind of things that we do just to see what would happen. So I've gone to ChatGPT and I've said, go through all of JD Super and come up with a list of the 10 things that an HR manager must know about building an employee handbook based on everything you read there. And got an answer. The one thing that gives me pause is that when I hit the regenerate button, I get an entirely different answer. So which of those two answers matters? <laughs> and, you know, and, and you know, there, there are all manner of legal offerings every time. I remember years ago, these sort of do it yourself websites where you go and you don't need a lawyer anymore, because if you just enter a whole bunch of parameters, you'll get a contract that you can then sign. And somebody pointed out to me, People who do that, say for a will, will only know how badly that has gone once it's too late, 30 years from now, when somebody dies and you have to read the will and somebody points out this will has been done terribly. And it's sort of like, so there is huge promise and huge upside upside with the, um, with the caveat of legal complexity requiring um, the time that it deserves to get right, I would say. The other question I would add to your list of question is, can Jay use ChatGPT to finish his book? <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I did. Spoiler alert. That's what I did. And the fatal flaw is brought to you by ChatGPT and Dolly. The cover, Dolly did the cover art. Yeah. 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 I will uh, say, yeah. Well, I, I will say, I mean, it, it certainly is an excellent editor, right? I mean, that I think that's another um assistant tool that you use ChatGPT for. I mean, and, and the key thing is, I think Adrian, to your last point about, um, you know, the, the complexity of different legal issues, uh, you, no one should be using ChatGPT to delve outside of their area of expertise. They should use it as a tool to help them drill down further on their area of expertise, because the only way you're gonna know whether or not what you're getting back is accurate and helpful to your readers is if 
you you can immediately spot whether you know there are issues factual or otherwise with the the content you're getting back. So this is not uh, this is not a tool to use to pretend you're an expert in a domain that you're really not um, because you think ChatGPT is. It's more of a tool to help you sharpen your expertise and maybe help you connect dots and think differently about issues that that you may not have despite your expertise. Yeah, and in the context of uh, a platform like JD Super, so we work with a, a lot of firms that have marketing teams that are a point of contact who then have clients of their own who happen to be the attorneys who are writing this content and how to possibly give them the tools to support what they're trying to do and make them really succeed at what they're doing within firms. And so, for example, um, you know, I think that one of the things that thought leadership suffers from um, and suffers is a strong word, but that that it, it can be generic when it needs to be specific, especially if you wanted to go from being this sort of like very generalized visibility at the top of the sales and marketing funnel down to something really specific where you're actually engaging somebody that you that you're trying to reach. So you take a labor and employment post and it has this generic quality to it. But um what if a marketer can go and they should try this um, go to chat GPT or some other interface and basically say, take this post and refocus it so that it specifically reaches people in the restaurant service industry. Um, and the end result of that is not something that then you hit publish on and ship. It's something that you put back in front of the hands of the attorney and say, did they do a good job? And at that point, the attorney's time has gone from writing something from scratch, staring at a blank screen, to editing something that exists in front of them and having something to work with and not wasting time. And so there are multiple ways that it can assist and be useful and just be a sort of like a real sort of um, time saving Yep. And maybe that's a, a good place to wrap back to kind of where we started is thought leaders are we want to consume thought leadership from thought leaders. Um, Chat GPT is not a thought leader, but it can help thought leaders in their thought leadership. Did I say thought leader enough times for the thought leadership project <laughs> podcast? Four. I counted for. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Adrian, for coming on and, and giving us your perspectives and your inside look at some of the data that you have access to. Uh, we'll have to do it again this time, Jay, or have to do it again sometime. Jay, good luck on your book. And uh, we'll check in, see how your progress is on the next time we get together for the Thought Leadership Project Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.